All right, everyone. This is uh, our end of the year 2018 movie top list podcast. First annual. First annual. Uh, I'm Audie Sumerai. I'm here with... I'm Dave Pavlock. All right. And uh, I guess we just decided to do this to go do a, a quick way to to discuss our, our top films and... I personally did this because I don't like writing a lot, so I always put off doing my, my top list for as long as possible because I, I sit there and agonize over writing little blurbs about each film, and I was like, I'd rather just talk about them. Sure. So I guess this this is our our way of doing that. Yeah. yeah um, I'm excited. Yeah, so I guess we'll, we'll real quickly discuss how a little bit of context about like how we came arrived at our top lists and how many movies we watched and stuff like that uh why don't you go ahead and sure uh so last year i saw 82 movies in 2017 and i organized it with an excel spreadsheet for the first time and that was really uh easy for me because i always have so much trouble at the end of the year where it's like okay i saw all these movies let me like what did i remember and so I was like all right well let me actually make this into like a representation of what i saw so I organize them by, if I really love it, they get three stars. If I loved it, they get two. If I, it was really good, I'll give it one, and then otherwise it's unranked. So 2018, I ended up seeing 125 films. Thank you, AMC, A-List, and MoviePass. Uh, and then uh, of those 125, uh, 39 were actually good. Okay. Enough for me to like consider. And then of those 39, I had 18 that were ranked three stars. And then so then I said to weed out from there, and I use a formula with individual acting, ensemble cast, originality, uh, rewatchability, direction, and cinematography. So I comp- compile a composite score, and whatever the highest score, and whatever my gut agrees with, that's how I rank them. That's it's very uh, very metric driven. I like yes. it. A very scientific, rigorous approach to that. I kind of took the uh, the opposite approach. I didn't see very many movies. I, I'm not even sure how many movies you saw this year. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you watched 125, you said, yeah, and you ended up only like 39 were like great and 18 were like amazing. It makes me feel justified in the fact that I haven't oh, seen that many. Absolutely, I'm not <laughs> watching 125 movies again ever in a year. <laughs> so okay, that's good. But I, yeah, I basically I just I try and go see stuff that looks good. I try to avoid. Some people like watching just like everything that comes out. They like being part of the discussion. I personally am just like, I'm just going to try and see the stuff that looks good that sure. I would enjoy. Even, even some stuff that like a lot of people were like me talking about, like I never saw yeah, yeah. Star is Born, yeah. um, which people love. It just yeah didn't didn't interest me. So and, and I think it's the approach I'm going to take this year. But because you're saying like being part of the conversation, I mean, I saw every like POS that came out this year and it's like, okay, I can talk about these movies, but with the people I'm talking with them about, unless it's these 18 movies, generally if I'm breaking down Avengers and saying how poorly, you know, like cohesive it was and it's script or whatever, people are like, Oh, but did you see like when Iron Man like punched that guy really hard? It's like, I, you know, it's, it's a different conversation with different people. So it just wasn't enjoyable. Like I didn't gain any value, I think from seeing all these extra movies. That That's fair. Though I will, I do want to be, like, point out that one thing, one problem with doing that, I think, is that, you know, sometimes stuff will come out of left wing and really surprise you, and you might be like, ah, not really interested in seeing this, and you watch and you're like, you know what, 
I'm glad I watched that. And yeah. if you kind of actively avoid stuff that's outside your wheelhouse, you know, you don't want to be in a bubble. But That's true. Like, uh, Live, Die, Repeat a couple of years ago was like that, where I'm like, I, I don't oh, care. Oh, man, that's like the re... It, but that was so good. The retitled, uh, what was the original? Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And then they... Supposedly, they're making a sequel. It's like live, die, repeat again. I don't oh, know. Come on. Happy death day to you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and one last bit of context, I think um, neither of us are professional movie reviewers. We have no, no, like we're not in the industry. We're not doing anything. We just no. like movies. We watch a bunch of movies. So yeah, uh, yeah. Don't. Just take our opinions as it's just that we, I mean, we don't know what the fuck we're talking we about. We do. We're never wrong. So I mean, at least we have that going for us. So that's good. That is true. Both <laughs> of us never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So let's get this thing started. Uh, what did you have for your number ten this year? Sure. So okay, my number ten. Also, I just want to note that like my list was shifting right up until. It was, it was pretty solidified, but, like, right until, like, five minutes before recording this, I was, like, still moving. It's very true. Um, but my number 10 was actually The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, uh, the Coen Brothers film that was Netflix release. Yeah. I wasn't really sure. Like, I had the chance to see it in theaters. I think it played an IFC here. Um, I just kind of skipped it. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it on Netflix. Coen's brother is obviously, like, huge. Everyone loves him. I like them just their names alone wasn't enough for me to like go run to the theater and see it mm-hmm. after watching ballad of buster Scruggs, i was i was pretty surprised at how much i enjoyed it i was also surprised at like how it was like fun in a way that i wasn't expecting i mean they always have a lot of like black comedy and stuff in their films yeah but uh i don't know i it was also pretty rewatchable for me and i don't rewatch films too much mm-hmm. um but I, I rewatched that one a couple times. I threw it on while I was wrapping Christmas gifts. <laughs> uh, but yeah, my, my first first time watching, I thought it was pretty solid. Some of the the shorts went on a little longer than I was expecting, yeah. or than I wanted it to. But the second time around, pretty solid. Like yeah, the, I think it's my exact reaction too. Is the first time I watched it, I wasn't the biggest fan. But upon rewatching, uh, I thought that the vignettes actually all complemented each other well. Like they, they took a lot of ideas. I think there was originally supposed to be like a mini series, and they actually I can see that they did a pretty good job of actually just like okay, let's get let's get some of the vibes correct here. Let's let's get it going, and and um, I, I thought it was really good too. I will say that a lot of my top list films I'll mention are like oh really beautiful films. So I come from like a photography background. Uh, I'm a photographer. So I put a lot of weight into aesthetics on sometimes too much weight potentially, but, uh, despite like most of my films being ones that I think are pretty beautiful, I actually really disliked the way about a Buster Scruggs looked. I thought the really? grading in particular was like really bad. I like some stuff was like the last vignette was where it shifted colors as they got closer to their destination. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but, um, like that seemed, you know, very intentional and like, it makes sense. These heavy, heavy color casts, but the rest of the film, like just looked bad sometimes to me. It looks, um, it, it was definitely intentional, but it looked kind of amateur to me. Yeah. Um, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not so much a stickler that like, Oh, stuff will stick out. is looking bad to me, but aside from like this film and then, uh, Molly's game 
uh, two years ago, mm-hmm. where two films just stuck out in my head as like looking bad. Sure, that should not enough for me to to knock his film like off my top list though, because it was just the content of it was so good. Um, but yeah, I just figured I, I should mention that. So yeah, that's my number ten. How about uh, you? My number ten was uh, uh, Boots Riley's "Sorry to Bother You." Mm. Which Boots Riley is one. It's a great name. I know the director's name is Boots Riley. I'm like, well, that's the best name I've ever heard in my life. Uh, but it, you know, in such a heavy year of, of uh, just strong, strong entries in like black cinema uh, after you know an Oscar so white debacle a few years ago was. It was just nice to see that, you know, Black Panther wasn't the strongest film in that genre this year. It was really happy to see that uh, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, this this movie, it hits on all the notes of, you know, corporate America and capitalism and and, and just that indentured servitude lifestyle that, that you know, we go to uh, just almost like willingly because of, you know, the power hungry and stuff. And um, just so thematically, I think it was just so strong. And then they just, they just had a lot of critiques on things like, I was talking to Michelle about the Tessa Thompson's. Uh, she's the art student, and she's doing like the the art display of where like people are throwing blood at her. She's like reciting some feminist poem or whatever, and they can also throw like dead cell phones and stuff, and like <laughs> and it's just like the craziest thing. And I was like, yeah, this this movie hits hits all, a bunch of notes and critiques things pretty vividly. Oh man, yeah, that sorry to bother you is film. It didn't make my top list. But I have a feeling that if I was to rewatch it and go through, like, full disclosure, I don't, I very rarely rewatch films. I, I guess I said that earlier, but yeah. um, I feel like it could creep on there. I, I think it's going to be one that grows, uh, sure. grows on me over time. That, that's a, that's a good movie. Yeah. What was your number nine? Uh, my number nine, I think, might be a little controversial just because I know that it's, it's going to be a little higher on, on yours. So, mm-hmm. um, I also know. I think it was Michelle's number one spoiler, but uh, my number nine was First Reformed Ugh, so uh, by Paul Schrader so uh, with Ethan Hawke, Amanda Seyfried. It was uh, it was an amazing movie. It was a very good movie. Yes. Um, and Cedric, just, Cedric the Entertainer. You cannot forget Cedric. He was so good in that. <laughs> How could I forget Cedric? How could you forget Cedric, man? <laughs> um, but yeah, First Reformed, while it ended up low, lower on my list than I thought it would and that's kind of weird because it was such a great film but like in my past years of topless i I feel like i had this habit of putting films higher on my list because i felt like they were more critically acclaimed or better films whereas i i really want my list to be reflective of my taste personally and what i enjoyed like what what really like resonated with me i guess and first reformed uh it was an amazing film, but there was just some things that held it back from being in my top five and stuff. There's sure. they use the the aspect ratio. I forget. Uh, do you recall this? What, one dot thirty seven by one, um, which is the Academy the, ratio the that Academy. was used in the early nineteenth century, I think, or twentieth century. So and nineteenth um, century, yeah, back. Yeah, and there's a lot of. I feel like that's a thing. That the nineteenth century. Yeah, they used to use an eighteen hundreds man. It's pretty cool. <laughs> um, wow. There's uh but I I think strange aspect ratio is a thing that um has been coming back recently, it's very on Vogue. 
I mean, mid '90s had was it Square Crop? I don't. I'm not sure. It was definitely a, that sounds right. A non traditional. It was yeah. Six, it wasn't sixteen by nine or um, like Mommy. A few years, I think used it really well. Uh, Homecoming, the TV show, uh, same S mail show that this Amazon Prime film uses Square Crop in certain timelines. I think they all use it like really effectively. First Reformed. I don't know if I got anything out of its its aspect ratio change. Um, and then something else that kind of bothered me about it, and I know this is this probably shouldn't I shouldn't knock it as hard as I am for it, but it it kind of feels like a retread. People say it's like a positive thing. It's like this generation's like taxi driver and stuff. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I just want to watch Taxi Driver. <laughs> I like I like Taxi Driver so much, and they do feel like sibling films to be in a way. But Taxi Driver just like hits me a lot harder. Sure, I, I have trouble divorcing those in my head. Whenever I think of First Reformed, I think, oh, it's a great movie. But I just want to watch Taxi Driver. Fair enough. Uh, and I'll discuss that. One yeah, later, yeah, so. I'm sure we'll my we'll get to it a little higher. Time. On your those spoilers list. over here. <laughs> uh, my number nine was mid '90s, the Jonah Hill directorial debut. Uh, this movie, uh, this year, the skateboarding films were kind of coming back, uh, like Skate Kitchen, Minding the Gap, mid '90s. I think there was one more, just can't remember. But uh, I think what I liked about it so much was a lot of Jonah Hill struck me as the kind of guy. Granted, you know, him and I are so close, I know him so well. But this is what I assumed his first directorial debut would be would be like don't worry he won't get far on foot kind of thing like that movie that came this year where it's kind of overly long it could have been edited down you know it, 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 a mess this was 85 like tight minutes it sets up the story quickly gives you the characters quickly and then like just and it resolves things in a nice way it's like he wrapped a pretty bow on it uh, and, and after having this idea they were probably like hey you know that's only 85 minutes he's like cool looks good I'm happy with it like you could just you could feel his intelligence coming through in this movie, his emotional intelligence in a way of, you know, nothing was melodramatic, you know, story of a young kid trying to find like his niche and his group. And, and it's, it was just so raw and like laid open for you. It was really a uh, nice film. Very nice. So Midnight is a film that a lot of people told me I should watch. <laughs> you yeah. in particular. Yeah. Uh, I actually never caught it this year. I do want to watch it. I, I will watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't get a chance to see it before recording this. Yeah. The soundtrack alone is, is great. Okay. Yeah. Is it is it a mid ninety soundtrack? It is a mid ninety <laughs> soundtrack. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I was listening to it for days afterwards. So. Um, so good. But yeah, you mentioned some of the other you mentioned uh, Minding the Gap, which I watched and that documentary didn't make my top list but i really enjoyed it yeah and uh it seems like so like i said i haven't seen the 90s but it seems like it might have hit similar emotional beats i I would say that's true that's valid okay yeah can you sell me on like mid because i'm not gonna lie mid 90s looks kind of try hard to me like yeah. it's like a first his first thing and it's like the square crop and it's like the emotional like he's going sure. for like slice of life kind of like you know doesn't want to do comedy you know Jonah Hill's kind of seems like he's kind of breaking from this comedy uh well, I, I think I think where it's easy to be to sell you on it is that it, it 
where in the previews I felt the same way. I was like, this movie's gonna be trying really hard for Jonah to not be Jonah. But I think it's it's completely him in every way. I mean, from from what we know about him, I think mean, this movie is light and breezy, but it's also very heavy. And if Jonah does one, you know, well, they two things well. It's he's funny and he's also very dramatic. Like he's great at both of those roles. So it's like as a director, I feel like he was so good at working with his cast and with a young cast too, an inexperienced young cast. Uh, you know, being like, hey, this is how you tell your young friend that they don't have to, like, try so hard to be around them and do it in a way that feels natural. Like, it, it just felt like we were just, like, uh, like just having these glimpses of this life. It, it, just, it was just sold. I was, I was convinced the whole time. You know, nothing felt cheap about it. Okay. Yeah. I respect that. Um, and my number, what are we on? We're on eight, eight. now. Yeah. So my number eight was uh, The Sisters Brothers, um, yes. directed by, I don't, I'm not sure if I pronounced his name correctly, Jacques Audiard. I don't know. but um, <laughs> Very French. Yeah. Uh, sorry, John C. Riley, Joaquin Phoenix, Jake Gyllenhaal. What a great cast. Um, also, cinematographer, uh, the DP on the film was uh, Benoit Deby, who is my favorite he was like what the inspiration what so big ones are spring breakers oh, yeah. uh and he works with gaspar no a lot he, okay. he did uh Sick. enter the void and all those so um and this is obviously not like that whole neon drenched thing that he's kind of known for yeah there's some like beautiful shots in it. just the opening scene where it's lit it's dark uh night and it's lit primarily by like gunshots yep but yeah sister brothers I guess that makes like two westerns, kind of pretty, pretty yeah. close on my. Uh, well, you are wearing boots and spurs right now, so I mean, I think that that's important for everyone to. Do. Yeah, we didn't mention that we're doing this podcast on a ranch, and I'm <laughs> on a horse right now. Um, but no, this this was like a, a good. I'm kind of a sucker for westerns. I so I don't I haven't seen a lot of the classic ones actually, which is terrible, and I should. But like this whole like modern modern western stuff uh, I'm way into and this film I thought was it was really good it, and it had I was like, hoping it wouldn't get too like nihilistic and dark like some some westerns just tend to live in that headspace and yeah. while this wasn't uh, it wasn't like a light film at all but it still it was more about the the relationship between the brothers Mm-hmm. Um, then, I mean, it's called Sisters Brothers, but I was honestly, like, not expecting it to be that much sure. uh, of family drama yeah. as, it, as it was. Um, and it was headed up, I mean, by I mean, Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley. I mean, that, that's the amount of pedigree, and then you throw in Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed. I mean, it's just, like, that movie just had some serious weight, like, already behind it actors-wise. So I think, like you are saying, most westerns fall like tropes of certain things i just think that the strength of the actors just pulled that right out it was super good yeah and yeah you mentioned john c riley and i know that he's done serious films before and he's not just like uh you know step brothers like yeah. <laughs> actor but i was honestly kind of surprised at how well he hung with like joaquin <laughs> phoenix and jake gyllenhaal like yeah. like he Oh, he kind incredible. of stole the show in it. Because you said you haven't um, seen Magnolia yet, right? I have not seen Magnolia. Yeah, so that's, as much as I don't like that movie, John C. Riley is, like, a revelation of that movie. So, yeah, he's he's great. So, okay, maybe I would have been a little less surprised if I uh, yeah. I've had have seen that. He's had some good work, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that was my number eight, Sisters Brothers. Nice. My number eight was Hereditary. 
I'm really excited mm-hmm. to talk about. It's, I'm, I'm not, I don't have the same eye for like the moody detail as you, but I feel like we are very similar in our taste of horror films and that we both go for things that are dark and lit well. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's like every, I think when you have a horror film that can, you know, dark is scary. Okay. We get that. But when you can light it well and like, you put people in that in that space and so like hereditary the whole time you're put uh, i forget who directed it um ari aster uh, yeah uh ari aster oh, written and i think right? this was his yeah. uh his first feature-length film yeah so and, and so you, you just take uh i don't know you, you just take the audience like you just pull them into the film like that and then you fill it with such heavy material and like such like very complex themes like uh you know tony collette you know, as a mother, like the struggle of like losing your daughter. And so then having like that manic feel to the film of, you know, she's losing now touch with reality after losing her mother, then her daughter. And it, so you take that, you mix it with the horror aspect, the horror element. And then the very end of it, not the spoilers, but like adding in a very surreal element, like really confirming a lot of things for the audience. And I don't know, it just, it made me feel like chewed up a little bit. Like I felt like it really got its teeth into me, and uh, yeah, it's a heavy, it's a heavy film. That's heavy the best film. way I would describe it. Yeah, like a lot of people say, "Oh, is this like a scary film? Are you terrified?" And it's like, I mean, maybe yes, yeah. but but also like, even if you're not scared by it, sure. it's going to be affecting. Absolutely, I, and I think you know the core of the film is is the, a mother's love, and that. When, when films play with that a lot, and one of my favorite movies uh, that you've ever shown me, Excision, does this to where it it's like the trust and love of a mother and how important that is in your life. And this movie does it a little different to where it's like the mom has kind of like transgressed before. So now when the young son is like dealing with the mom losing rea- touch with reality again, it's like imagine that horror. I mean, just that it, it, it's a very cerebral real feeling thing that you know by the end of the movie it just you feel like you're open and exposed like it, 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 I just felt like naked and bare like it was emotionally it was so good I really was horrified by this movie <laughs> yeah awesome yeah Hereditary made my list uh, a little higher so yeah. I'll give my thoughts on that when we get there beautiful but um I think it's my number seven right now oh okay that's right We're yeah seven's now uh, my number seven is You Were Never Really Here by uh, yes. Lynn Ramsey. Another Joaquin one, back to back, dude. Oh, yeah, it is. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Lynn Ramsey, I think, is a great director. I haven't seen like her earlier film, like Rat Catcher and Morbid Collar. Mm-hmm. I want to, but uh, we need to talk about Kevin is like a classic around here. Michelle and I watched a bunch. But yeah, You Were Never Really Here was kind of, I kind of had the feeling it was going to be my kind of film right from the beginning. Yes. Like, very, yeah, thriller, dark, but, like, super art house. Uh, and actually, it was it was more art house than I was expecting it to be. It was um, a lot of kind of surreal elements. What I really liked about it was how much faith she had in the viewers. Like, um, his entire background, uh, the main, main character, I forget his name, but uh, Joaquin Phoenix background in that uh, film is something that you can like it's told in very quick flashes yeah uh interspersed throughout it and it's something that you could miss easily or you can misinterpret uh easily um but she didn't want to beat you over the head with it yeah um it's it's just kind of there uh for you to either 
hook onto or not. And I think that director Lynn Ramsey is so good at that. I mean, remember we need to talk about Kevin, you know, one of the more thematically heavy films of my recent memory, she tells it in a way where it's like, okay, this is super heavy stuff, but I'm going to unfold it for you in a way that the audience can actually hang with. So she, I think she just does a great job of that. I mean, this and this movie was no exception. I don't have too much to say about it other than it, it just kind of like it resonated with me. It was the kind of film that I, I like. Uh, yeah. It was beautiful also. Oh, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, there was some really amazing shots in it. Yeah. Uh, the entire, like, ending. Uh, you, if you hear someone whispering, that's Michelle's just sitting here. Uh, yeah, she mentioned that it was very violent. The violence in that film is mostly implied. Like, there's actually very yeah, little like on-screen background. violence shown. Um, but it still feels like a violent film, sure. Which is, uh, sure. I think, a hallmark of kind of like there are a lot of horror films that do that. I think it's it's oftentimes harder to pull that off than to just show like yeah. crazy gore effects or things like that. But yeah, so that's my number seven. So speaking of violence, uh, my number seven is the house that Jack built. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Lars von Trier and I don't get along well normally. Um, I, I didn't love Nymphomaniac, and I, I just haven't dug a lot of his earlier work. Uh, just personal preference. Like I, I always am impressed technically by him, but it's always like, eh. You know, I, I just have never. This is the first film of his that you know that I've really clung to and been like, really. I, I get it. Like I guess it's a, a very Von Trier film, the, the House of Jack built. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting it's, that this is the one that did it for you. I know. I know. Uh, I think a lot worked for me. I think it'd been easier for him to cast a better actor as uh, Jack. Uh, you know what I mean? Like he called Matt Dillon. Like what order down the call sheet was was that? Like oh, you know, Joaquin uh, can't do it. You know, Jake Gyllenhaal can't do it. Like who else do we got in working in Hollywood? And Matt uh, Dillon was like somewhere like twenty twenty three, maybe. You know, to be honest, some of that might have been due to the uh, the level of violence and the things that. But the actor was was, was you know, willing, yeah. yeah what who was willing to kind yeah. of be <laughs> part, take part in that it ended up just being so perfect because I felt like it was more authentic you know big dumb Matt Dillon over here just like you know <laughs> you're killing a bunch of people and talking like you know Dante's Inferno with like Virgil as he's crossing like you know through hell and I'm like this actually sounds what a serial killer would probably like it just like he he did a good job of sounding. And being convincing as like a narcissistic, like crazy person, like serial killer. Uh, and uh, so I, I thought that really worked. And then uh, I'm a huge sucker. Like you're a sucker, like you said, for um, for like mood and visuals and things. I'm a huge sucker for biblical allegory. <laughs> like, and, and, and like and like 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 literary references. So when this like when they're like, oh, big hey, on uh, mother. <laughs> uh, mother was my top movie last year, remember? <laughs> okay, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, so I, I'm like, you know, shame like there's no shame in my game. I love it. And uh, so like when this one like he's like, Oh hey Virg, I'm like, Oh Virgil, cool. I'm on board. Let's do Dante's Inferno, but large von Trier version. And uh, just it, it just it really worked, and all the banter they had, you know, it. This movie pandered to me in a big way. Of a lot of things, I you know, a lot of my opinions of religion uh, were, were echoed in this film, and I just I really dug it. I, so this is a film that I was really excited for when I heard about, and then uh, when it it got released, and there were kind of middling reviews coming out of the festivals from it. So I, it kind of tempered my expectations. Um, but Michelle and I went to go see it. And I think it was, there's, 
I think there's a really good film in it. There's like an amazing film in it. I can see that, sure. But I think it you got to dig for it a little bit. Yeah. I felt like it was kind of overly long. Yeah. A, l- a little masturbatory. Yeah. <laughs> for, uh, no, I mean, absolutely. which is like, that's kind of like Ron Jerry's thing. Yeah. He likes to insert himself in, in his films. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I, uh, see, for me, I think where it worked is because I, I remember reading, you know, Dante's Inferno as a younger man and being like, this is so long. I hate this. And then so I get to a movie that's, you know, using that as a central theme. I'm like, this should be long. This should, this should drain on you. This should be hard to get through. It should be. Uh, so I, I took it as more of like an homage to, to just the literary works that he was fairly inspired by and referencing and, and the themes he dealt with. I think, I think, yeah, you could edit this down and make it more friendly for sure. But I, I really liked how this movie made me feel. I really liked how. <laughs> like how, shit. Like exactly. a giant piece it, of it shit. It made me, I, I barely slept. I, I was like a mess. Like at this movie, I'm like, it, this is dark and horrifying and grotesque. And I just think it, it just felt fully realized to me. I was like, even though it's too much, but I think it's just his personality was on level 10 of our interior and just was like, hey, Matt Dillon, come do this with me what about the humor in it though uh the humor in it was amazing uh it was so dark and twisted and just like also dad jokey and weird in some ways like it was very like the whole thing where he's like pretending to be a cop to get into like his uh second victim's house and uh, (laughs) i was actually taken aback by how much humor was in the the whole kind of first third of it i would say is like black comedy almost a duck and um that kind of took me as a surprise. Yeah. Also, honestly, that's like my least favorite part of the film. Really? Like, so you dug like the last two thirds, like the final two stories mainly. The the middle part of that film, like where it just kind of dispersed with the humor and it just went pitch black. I guess it. I guess it didn't even completely disperse with the humor. There's even in the, the middle sequence. There's some some stuff. I don't want to like spoil anything, but a lot of times. So I'm like a huge horror film. Uh, fan and everyone yes. whenever I say that to people their first question is oh what's the scariest thing you've seen mm-hmm. or uh, or they ask me like you know what what's like really horrifying to you this year um, and honestly more than anything any like actual horror genre films that I've seen that like the, the middle sequence of the house that Jack built was the most horrifying thing I've seen this yeah. year. Most disturbing, most horrifying. It's like... Which, which vignette are you talking, um, talking about? The, the one with... Uh, Riley Keough. Yeah, R- Riley Keough. Like, that whole sequence was yeah, just, simple. like... Yeah. And seeing it in theater, it was like a packed theater, and you can feel everyone yeah. just, like, tighten. Like, it sucked the air out of the room yep. uh, during that. And everyone was, was very tense. Um, yeah. and, and, and the way it was shot, too, to where you... <laughs> I just like how I like how Vontier toyed with me. Like you know, he's like, "Hey, I'm going to shoot this scene in a way that you know exactly what's going to happen to this character, and you know that the character probably has a pretty good idea, and for some reason is letting it happen." And uh, it was uh, it was brutal, oh, so good. And then when he pulls out like the wallet at the end, so nuts. <laughs> this is a conversation I had, uh, and it's hard because you know I don't want to like. Part of the reason why we do these lists is to turn people onto films that you yeah. know maybe they haven't seen. So I don't want to get too far into like spoiler territory or anything. But do you, do you ever feel like that film crossed the line a little bit? Did, a lot of people said that it it seemed almost misogynistic. 
no, uh, some, you don't think so. I think I think when your intentions are clear, and I think when you're, I, I just I just don't feel like he's a stupid person. Uh, misogyny to me is is not an intelligent trait. So I think that he's a very intelligent person, and he knew it. I think it was intentional. I, I really do. I like I just don't feel like he is. I mean, maybe he is a misogynist. I don't know, but it just didn't come across that way to me. I'm putting a lot of faith in him, but it's not. I hope it's not. So <laughs> you know. Like, I don't know. That's probably not that great. That's probably like me giving him a lot of credit. But um, no, I, I didn't. I don't feel like it crossed any lines. I like. I like to feel things from a movie, and I felt very skeevy and gross with that movie. And it just. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I go back and forth honestly on that, especially yeah. that middle sequence. I think that it's it's just fucking mean. Like I don't, I honestly don't think it needed to be that mean. To yeah. I think it could have done the same things with, without just being just that terrible to its characters. But um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It definitely affected me. So there's there's that. But uh, there's a part where Verge asks Matt uh, Dylan, I, Jack, sorry. Uh, he's like, "Hey, Mr. Sophistication picks stupid women. Is that like is that a thing? Like, do you, do you feel like you're better than women?" And they so they they do address it in dialogue in the film. I mean, it's you know I, I think and that's where I'm okay with it. It's like okay, they're acknowledging the fact that their characters are written this way, they're portray- perceived this way because it's his it's Jack's memory of it. So these characters probably you know you're relying on one person's memory, and this guy's a narcissistic sociopath serial killer who probably is a misogynistic you know, person so it's like you know it's that's probably why you know, I, I that's I fair think about it yeah that did feel kind of like a throwaway line to me to be honest like because yeah. they i mean he's von true was obviously aware that he was going to get these accusations <laughs> yeah um but i don't know if i fully buy that self-awareness absolves you of of these things sure. so um but yeah interesting Interesting film. I think there's a lot to dissect there. Um, I'd, I'd love to read some good, uh, good criticism or think pieces on this yeah. by some women in the industry who are like way into horror films. I'd love to read some of that. Get some, yeah, for some sure. Takes I'd on love that. To. Um, but okay, so now we are in my number six, six right? Yeah. Cruising along. Yeah, we are. So my number six was uh, the favorite. Uh, uh yeah. Lanthimos. Uh, I love his films. I like. I've enjoyed pretty much his entire uh, filmography, like from Dogtooth, like everything. Big fan of it. This was his first film that he didn't write, as far as I'm, I'm aware. Like this is really yeah. This so yeah. this was not written by him. Uh, you can kind of tell, like it wasn't void of his his kind of tropes and things that he does. Yeah. Uh, and his style. It's funny because it was, you know, a uh, period piece, like 18th century England. And a lot of period pieces are known for like the hoity-toity, actually like English, like the the speaking. It's like might be kind of hard to understand. I actually found the dialogue in this film to be more like natural than his modern day films. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. which is kind of funny. It wasn't as wooded. Yeah. As um, yeah. That was good. And I think this is his most accessible film. Um, which is also strange that a 18th century like English drama like this would be your most accessible film. And Themos loves to get dark. Like all of his films are dark. Yeah. Um, and not to say this film isn't dark, but it was a lot more fun than I was expecting. It It had a blast. Yeah. Yeah, It had a great time. Like Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz, they, you could tell that they were just 
really having fun with with this. Yeah. Um, Olivia Coleman too. Like just Bro. just all so, three of them. Yeah. Um, just tearing it up. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. So yeah, yeah. It, was, it was good. Yeah, I, I love Yorgos so much. I mean, the lobster, like, oh god, I, I somewhere in that movie. So everything he does is, I, I just love his like that Greek weird movement style he has, where everything is like, oh, there's more to a movie than just like conventional acting, and and how he does that. And I think a big strength of this movie was that he kind of strayed away from it a little bit, like enough to where he's like, okay. Let me let a more casual moviegoer in, and but for people who are more into his style, you're still going to see a lot of the stuff, and it's still great and pays off well. So yeah, it was it was a uh, he's just so good. I'm excited to see everything he does. Also, beautiful film. Like beautiful. It, 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 yes. uh, I, I think he like stayed pretty true. A lot of uh, natural light. A lot of like mm-hmm. everything. Like the night scenes were lit only with like candles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they did some weird stuff like he used a lot of like fisheye and super wide angle yeah. uh, lenses and you don't often see that in period pieces at all. And, like and I don't know very why stylistic. not because you know those rooms are so ornate and beautiful and it's like when he uses that wide angle like that you're like oh there's so much beauty in this shot. But yeah. it was very weird. A lot of uh, fisheye pans too. I feel like I I never see that yeah. in films because. Even when you do see something of a real stylistic, super wide, it tends to be a static shot. But then when it moves, it's very strange in a, in a really cool way. Very unique looking film, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, in kind of a, a genre that I think is tends to, to be pretty by the numbers a lot of times. Sure. That was my number six. Nice. My number six was uh, the Alfonso Cuarón's uh, Roma. And I just, yeah, I, I was so happy that I saw this in theaters, uh, instead of watching it on Netflix. Um, but I'm also very impressed that this is a Netflix produced film. I mean, that's the fact that they have a top 10 film before me, uh, and an Academy Award nominated film is crazy that they've come so far. Um, but, uh, this, this film and a film that's further up on my list does this well too. They, they remove color, uh, from a film to, to really just rely uh, or to kind of help you into a subject matter. That's, that's very heavy. And it's like, it's like when they show it that way, it's like, okay, we can like not dehumanize. That's the wrong word, but like kind of remove just a little level from it to where you can actually watch this. And this movie, I think I was telling you earlier, once it hits you with the first event that happens, which takes a little while to get into it. Um, it really, it doesn't stop hitting you. So I think, that lack of color in there really helps me to not completely cry more than I did uh, during this whole movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I definitely have some thoughts on Roma that's made yeah. my list. So I'll probably, nice. you know, expound more on that when sure. we get to it. Sure. On, on yeah, we'll my, talk about it more. Later. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. What's, what was your number five? Um, my number five was a film that kind of took me by surprise. Uh, I heard it was like pretty good, but uh, when I watched it, I was like, wow, this is so much fun. Uh, and it's uh, American Animals. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, by Bartley. And, and that was, um, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why I have this association in my head, but it reminds me of Whiplash in a very strange way. Where it's like, yes. where it's kind of like, so it's it's a heist film, mm-hmm. but it's the stakes are very different. It's like different from your normal heist film. Yeah. Like, uh, it's not like oceans or anything. Like yeah. That. Um, and they also did a uh, kind of an interesting thing where they interspersed, uh, interviews with 
the actual, so it's based on true so story. Cool. They intersperse interviews with the actual characters yeah. or the actual people that the characters are based on. I love that um, choice. That was so, yeah, which was a lot of yeah. fun. Um, but yeah, this film, like I was, it built tension really well. It was funny. Yeah. And, uh, I was like on the edge of my seat for this ridiculous, yeah. Like thing, the premise of it, like it was ludicrous. Yeah, it, it's ludicrous. <laughs> and then the execution, it just, yeah, it it goes places, and I'm like, what in the world? Yeah, um, I, it's it's kind of hard to yeah. to speak about without you know giving too many spoilers. But it's a great film. I, it's one. It's also one of the ones that I would recommend to to most people. Some of the films on on my list are pretty niche, or I would only Absolutely. recommend to you know people if I knew that oh this is the kind of stuff you're into. But I think American Animals is a a film that most people, yeah, most people would enjoy that. I I feel pretty confident saying that like, Hey, yeah, like you should watch this to pretty much anyone. Absolutely. I think this is actually one of the only films on my list, uh, maybe three or four films on my list I actually recommend to anyone. Uh, So so, yeah, and that's, I I agree with you. That's, it it was, it was in my honorable mentions this year. I think it was like my number 17 film this year, but it was, it was very strong. I mean, I, I remember texting you immediately after seeing it. Like, dude, the most unconventional high school I've ever seen. So good. Yeah. For sure. Good choice. Uh, my number five was Spike Lee's Return to Form with Black Klansman. Mm. And this movie actually started a lot higher on my list earlier this year. And then I w- I've watched it six times already this year. And, Jeez. Uh, so, you're, you're like the exact opposite of me. You love to rewatch films. Yeah. Yeah. I want to dissect it more. And, yeah. I want, I want to really, you know, chew on it and, and think about it. And uh, Black Klansman, and the only reason I think it fell a little bit was... Uh, I, I don't know. It just other movies came out, uh, yeah. but uh, I, I think Spike Lee is his strength and his weakness is that he pulls zero punches all the time, and he finally found a story based in reality. It's a true, based on true events film, to where he can also then pull the punches he wants to pull in our current administration. And uh, the, the way he does it, I, I could see how some people might think it's over the top, but I think I don't know if you go into it without an agenda. I think it's pretty. Pretty black and white, pretty pretty clear. The line that he was painting and subtlety isn't really his. He's his not thing. a subtle person <laughs> now. But uh, but no, just the casting choices were amazing. Um, uh, what's the guy's name from that seventy show? Plays Eric Foreman, Topher. Topher Grace, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so Topher Grace playing David Duke. What a unique and amazing casting choice. I mean, the only better one would have been Tobey Maguire, I think. But, uh, <laughs> but I feel like Topher Grace did like such a good job. And like, the picture that came up of Eric Foreman when I searched it is perfect. And then I think about him as a white supremacist. That makes me laugh. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think uh, the most visually affecting shot in the whole movie is when um, John David Washington's character uh, takes his, his love interest uh, to that the, the nightclub and uh, I believe uh, I believe I believe I believe we're fine you know yeah, yeah. and that whole scene where everyone's just kind of like singing and dancing having a good time was so well shot I mean like prestige well shot and I remember at that moment I was like this is a great movie and then then subject matter after that really tied the knot on it for you but it's a it's a very heavy. Uh, I, I like heavy movies, and this was very heavy. Yeah, you definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good movie. Great film. Yeah. What's your number four? Um, my number four uh, actually kind of flew onto my list and, and ruined it all last minute. Um, <laughs> not because I saw it late, but I thought it was uh, like a 2017 film. But sure. it, it, the theatrical release was in March of 2018. But it was yeah. Thoroughbreds oh, uh, by Corey Finley and. Yeah. 
I love that movie. Like, yeah. there, it is it's fun. There's some visually striking film. It's not, yeah. I don't know, it's considered a horror film. I don't, I don't think so. But, like, there's definitely, like, horror elements. There's definitely horror elements. I'm a sucker for horror elements and anything. Yeah. Um, and there's also, it's a hilarious film. There's, like, some really funny stuff. Yeah. Um, in that movie and it the leads in it like olivia cook and taylor joy just kill it yeah kill it there's been a lot of like just films with super strong female leads where everyone's crushing it and they're playing off each other yeah like really well this year has just been like yeah great uh anton yelchin's last uh last film yeah um it's really kind of a sad yeah. The sad uh, lying to that film. It's a that, great movie for him to go. I mean, like, you know, this is maybe dark to say, but like, I mean, if I if I were an actor and that's my craft, I'd be very proud of that. Like, that's a great final movie. Yeah, I mean, Green Room was oh, like, God. yes, what <laughs> was probably like, you know, <laughs> the the best thing that that he could have gone out was to, like a leading role in, but sure. like Thoroughbreds, yeah, uh, so good. Also, it's a film that I've rewatched uh, a couple times, which is always. If I rewatch it, then yeah. for me, it's like, okay, yeah, this, this is really good. Absolutely. And yeah. I think it's a supremely rewatchable film. It's like... Absolutely. Um, it? Yeah. It, it just flows well, too. Like, it's nothing feels overly long. It's it just, it's a very tight movie. It, it works. It's, yeah. And I think I don't think I lost my attention, uh, lost my attention once. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to the soundtrack of that film, yes. which is so funky for like what, I mean... Most of the film is just dialogue and like just people walking around and living upper class white person life, <laughs> um, which has, you know, that could be super tedious if it's not like handled with like a yes. style uh, mm-hmm. to it. And the soundtrack definitely like it was not how I would ever imagine you would you would uh, score a film like that. And it was for sure. Um Awesome. So, yeah, that was my number four. Nice. My number four was Barry Jenkins' follow-up to Moonlight, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. Oh, I wish I, I, I didn't get a chance to see that yet. It's, it's like, yeah. top of my list of stuff that I need to see. Uh, I, I, I was very emotionally uh, caught off guard by this movie. Uh, Moonlight didn't resonate with me. I, I, Moonlight was still, a, a, I think, a top three movie for me the year it came out because it was so beautiful. I mean, it's Moonlight. You know, it's beautiful. Everyone knows how great that movie is. But I think if Beale Street could talk, um, it, it, you know, you you talk about these these themes. I forget the... The guy's name is escaping me who who wrote the source material, but you know he's so great at talking about love and uh, and especially in the African American community, talking about how love is impacted by all of these you know societal constraints and and uh, it, it's just the most beautiful moving film uh, that I just wasn't ready for I, that movie. I went home and drank like I was just <laughs> I was like distraught uh, by this film. Wow, so. I, I didn't run out to see it when I first saw the trailers and everything because similar to uh, mid-90s, not that I, I felt like it was trying too hard, but it, it looked a little Oscar Beatty, like even really? the poster yeah. and everything. I don't know. Do you so you, so you think it's like... I, I, don't, I don't believe that's it's that way at all. Uh, no. James Baldwin, uh, such a great writer. Uh, and and uh, so when, Barry, when I found Barry Jenkins doing James Baldwin work, it's like... Okay, um, this, this isn't Oscar Oscar bait. This is uh, a man who already wrote and directed a film, and like that, 
played on very heavy themes for its target audience that was relatable and amazing. And then you're taking one of the most relatable and incredible civil rights figures and then transforming his work into a period of time, you know, a period piece as well. Uh, I, I just felt it was just genuine. It was, it could have been, it, this movie could have gone wrong in a lot of ways and every time it could have, it didn't. It, it just, it hit everything properly and still surprised you a lot. Uh, I, go, go see it. It's everyone. Uh, yeah, no, I'm yeah. definitely, it's, it's yep. top of my list to see. What's your number three, man? We're in top three territory now. We are. Yeah. It's getting so, real now. Yeah, this is big. Um, my number three was uh, Roma. Nice. Uh, about Alfonso Cuaron. Yes. And, Tell me about uh, Roma, man. Yeah. And Roma, that's also one of those movies where I saw the trailer and I was like, Netflix, and it looks a little like, Oscar, it looks like he's like trying really hard. It's black and white and everything. I wasn't big on gravity. Um, so like the Alfonso Cuaron thing, I was like, I love Children of Men. It's like one of my favorite films. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but uh, so I was, I was a little hesitant walking into Roma. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. And I, I loved Roma. It was great. Um, yeah. It was in, in a year where there was a lot of, beautiful films Roma just on another level absolutely um, you mentioned the black and white I was actually thinking about that film the other day and I like had forgotten that it was black and white that's right? like how rich it was yes um, I've never seen a black and white movie look that good before I mean uh, oh my god I watched an interview with him where he t- was talking about how uh, he didn't want it to be like old old school black and white he wanted it to be a very clean like modern black and white and oh, you, can, you can tell that That's i so also cool. think it's like like just even outside of just you know the the lack of color and the palette there the the way he layers his frames the composition there is always like at least three layers in his frames like not just like foreground background it's so dense and you can just like sit and uh it's almost like a vignette every every single like frame of that film it's yeah. mind-blowing absolutely um, and it there's elements that reminded me so much of children of men some of the end of like children of men the classic like long taste of walking through the war-torn oh, post-apocalyptic streets <laughs> yeah. and stuff there's stuff that brings back imagery of that um yeah. Dude, the whole right like, pretty strong yeah it was very um i don't know that that movie was was really good i yeah, yeah. I, I don't really know how much else I, I can say about it other than, you know, it's so good. Uh, all right. Uh, what is your number three? Uh, my number three was uh, De Hauptmann, uh, The Captain. So it's a Robert Schwenka film. Uh, and this director, I, I just want to talk about some of his earlier films first. Uh, so uh, The Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, shit. This is the same guy? Red. R-R-I-P-D. Divergent series, Insurgent, and Allegiant. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. Holy but, shit. But of films he's written, this is only his fourth film he's written. He didn't write any of those. Those were all just direct, probably. Flight Plan he did as well. Uh, so not, you know, he, he, he kind of came out of nowhere with this. But, oh, man. Uh, the I'd love to see the pitch for that. Like, who's like, yeah, oh, this guy is going to do this. This is our guy. Did you guys see Divergent? <laughs> we need Schwenka, you know, like... <laughs> 
but uh, the, you know, this this is what I can only assume is this the story was so good, and he probably heard about it. I was like, yes, give me this. I, I can't really assume, but uh, Der Hauptmann is um, the captain uh, is a German film about World War Two. It's a true true story where this very young uh, deserter from the the Nazi uh, German army um, said, you know. Uh, basically ran away and managed to find an officer's uniform uh, affected uh, enough of like you know uh, an officer's like you know aura and everything to where he infiltrated in enough to where he was running a death camp for deserters towards the end of World War II and he killed I believe hundreds uh, dozens to hundreds of, pe- of, of deserters so you know it, so that's already an amazing story. And then you shoot it black and white the way they did. And I think it was more old school. It wasn't that vivid, rich. Yeah, it was more classical black and white, I'd say. But it was so dark and so bloody and gory. And, you know, every, you know everything Holocaust-related, you know, in World War II is, is very hard to stomach. And this one is no exception. It is when they turn a turret gun onto just a crowd of people Spoiler. in a trench, uh, you know, it's, uh, sorry. Yeah. But you know, it's, it, it seemed like that normally, it, of course it was hard to watch, but I, I think the director's choice of, of black and white there, or the, the DP, whoever decided that was, you know, it worked because then you can actually stomach this and also find that they were inserting humor in a lot of ways into it with like the Tarantino esque big spurts of blood and, and things. And it, it was just, uh, this movie just blew me away. Yeah. I actually kind of watched it on a whim. I wasn't expecting it to, to enjoy it as much as it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't make my list, but it, it was like a near miss. And yeah. It, it was a very, I don't think I've ever seen a war film take this kind of angle or approach. It mm-hmm. felt very unique. Uh, unique to me. Yeah, it was uh, very unique. Uh, and, and, and oh my goodness, and, and just I don't know. I, I've never, you know, foreign films of me are hard to access because I'm just a stupid American. But uh, it's it's like this movie was. Of course, it deals with things that we actually do learn about in our public schooling. No worries. So it's like okay, I'm already familiar with it, kind of. But then you know, I think I think different cultures do things a little differently film wise, and this just. Um, this just did it well. I don't know. It, in an American way, admittedly, it did it well for me. I'm like, wow, I really, I want to, I want everyone to see it. I, you know, I want to recommend it to everyone. I think it's very strong. It's, it's a very, it's a, such a good story. It's very interesting. Yeah, I agree. I love that. Movie. Yeah, more people should watch it. <laughs> All right. Okay, we're at number two now. Yeah, top two. Oh my gosh. All right. Um, here's my number two. Uh, it was, I think, very limited release, unfortunately. Um, though it does kind of make sense why. But uh, it was Burning, uh, directed by Chang Dong Lee. The, I guess the most, uh, the actor that most uh, Americans would know is Stephen Yen, isn't it? Oh, he was in it. Cool. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. I didn't see this one. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's it's based on a, a short story by uh, Murakami. So, um, so you were predisposed. Yeah. Uh, I like Murakami. I'm not like, you know, crazy super fan of him. But uh, yeah, this was, it, it like hit a good mix of like slice of life, but also with like dark undercurrents mm-hmm. that uh, I I was really into. Like I like slice of life. My wife, Michelle, loves slice of life. Um, but sometimes 
they they just get like a little like I need something a little more. I need to be, a, but like this sure. one, um, this one had some some darkness under the surface that really like I kept me super intrigued the whole time. It's also I, I say this on almost all these films, but it was a fucking beautiful movie. Yeah. Um, there's some like natural light scenes that are shot at like dusk and uh, like early afternoon stuff that are just like, I can still like visualize them whenever I think about this movie, they're just scenes that just like keep playing in my head. Um, it is kind of a, a slow film. Like it, mm-hmm. it unfolds at its own pace. Um, nice. It lets you, it gives you a chance to kind of live with the characters Um and that's going to turn some people off. Like this isn't a film for everyone. Um, sure. I can totally see it's, it's foreign language and see a lot of people just being bored out of their minds, but it's a Korean film, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things where if you can kind of, kind of get caught up in the pace of it and kind of let yourself go and kind of, you know, just kind of float through this film. Yeah. And it's so good. Uh, when you kind of surrender yourself to that, um, sure. And yeah, I, I think you should watch it. As oh, soon I will. As you Absolutely. Can, uh, My problem is I couldn't find it. Right. That was a, a bummer. To it, me. It you is, tell me how great it was. Yeah. It is rough uh, to find. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. I'm so excited about talk about talk about my number two. All right. Uh, my number two was from Panos Cosmatos. Uh, oh man. Uh, <laughs> Mandy. Oh my gosh. Um, I love Nick Cage. I like, unashamedly love Nick Cage. Uh, I understand what's you know technically wrong with Nick Cage. <laughs> he takes every What's role. Wrong with Nick Cage? He takes every role. You know, and he's just like, he has one, like he's always going like 80 miles an hour and like that's it. But, uh, but Mandy, it, it's such a, um, a difficult film in the beginning. It's very s- deliberate and slow and he goes his own pace for the first, what, 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, right? it's, like very, and then and then it, it's a Nick Cage is so like even keeled and even tempered for that amount of time. So I was already impressed in the beginning. I'm like, wow, this movie isn't really grabbing me, but it's beautiful to look at. Nick Cage is great, but then it goes from like zero to a thousand uh, in 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 an acid trip laden, alcohol fueled drug nonsense like murder party like kind of thing to where it's you know, Nick Cage having a chainsaw fight and like yelling in the bathroom, like crazily while chugging vodka after being stabbed a bunch. Like, you know, it's, uh, I I think in the original casting of the film, Panos wanted Nick Cage to play the bad guy and Nick Cage is like, no, 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 I'm the good guy. I can do this. (laughs) And thank goodness that happened because this would not be on my list. I think if it was reversed, I think the bad guy was perfect. Uh, you know, that like religious zealot figure, uh, versus Nick Cage, just like the, like the grizzly man, like who's, you know, avenging his wife, you know, just crazy. Oh man. Yeah. Mandy, that was probably, if you had asked me at the beginning of the year, what my most anticipated film was Mandy would probably be like, yeah. if not number one, like in the top three. Sure. Um, and yeah, that would, I feel like I, I, it was like one of those films that was made for me that like I had the crazy, like I love Did you see Cosmonaut's last film? Beyond the Black Rainbow. Beyond the Black Rainbow. Of course. Yeah. You um, that. Yeah. yeah I, I love Beyond the Black Rainbow. Uh, I'll actually like throw it on a lot in the background when I'm editing photos, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of makes sense. But um, for whatever reason, it didn't hit me as hard as I wanted it to. Yeah. Like Mandy, I, I 
really liked it. Maybe I need to watch it again. Sure. Um, I was surprised at how much of as of Cosmatos like uh, art house sensibilities just like stayed in this film. Like Absolutely. for a Nicolas Cage film, and everyone was talking about it, and it got like it was still relatively limited release, but it it wasn't like unfindable it wasn't like straight to video or whatever yeah um and i was expecting it to be a little toned down uh from beyond the black rainbow <laughs> nope <laughs> nope it's it's very much an art house yeah. film i feel like it's very like this just shots go on for so long yeah but in like a good way yeah um and how he intersperses like the like the illustration, uh, like the art, you know, it blends in those scenes almost as like chapter placers and stuff like that. And like it was just vivid. Everything was so like heightened senses here. You know, like the characters are on acid, so we're on acid. This is like you know, it's this like I, I just felt very um, aware of this movie. It, it was very effective. Yeah, it's. It's definitely... I would say that it is not for everyone. No. God, no. But, uh, <laughs> like, if you watch Mandy and you're upset about it, I'm sorry. But uh, I think but, the people who are it is for, it's like they're real fucking into it. Exactly. Like, yes. Yeah, absolutely right. Everyone at the movie theater that I went to see it, you could tell it was a Panos crowd. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to know what a Panos crowd looks like, just go to another one of his movies in 10, in, in 10 years. <laughs> where do you, where does he go from here? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, this is what his first and It was it 10 years? or like, It's been a while. Yeah. Um, only a second. No, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It hadn't been 10 years, but it is. Yeah. yeah it's been a while. I'm yeah. definitely curious to see what, what he does next. Yeah. I would love to, I'd honestly see, and this is, I don't say this very often, but I would love to see him reined in, his art sense, art house sensibilities reined in a little bit. See how he does with Like, I want to see, yeah. yeah, it's almost like, um, it's almost like Refn, Nicholas Wynn and Refn, and yeah. how, like, he does uh, Only God Forgives and, or Bahal Rising, where they're, like, just... His, it's often him doing his own thing, and then Drive was his breakthrough because, yeah, like, it. yeah, it was yeah. reined in a little bit. It's still it was still a ref and film, but I want to see Cosmatos's Drive. That's oh, what I want, dude. I want to like because I think that it would just be like Wait, bring him to a, the next level as far as like popularity and mainstream appeal yeah. and and all that. When Panos listens to our podcast, he's obviously a fan of ours. Uh, uh-huh. I hope that he hears this and, and that he really, you know, takes it to heart. Yeah. And gives us his version of drive. Yeah. <laughs> I want the weird pop songs. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, I could see Ryan Gosling being uh, in a Cosmatos film. Oh my God. He's <laughs> so good. Oh man. Put him next to Emma Stone just to help help me out a little bit because, <laughs> because I love them together so much. <laughs> there you go. Alright, what's your number one, dude? Alright. Down to it. Number one film. I saw it and it really couldn't it might be a little expected to be, but I just couldn't put it anywhere else. Number one, but uh yeah, mine's hereditary. Nice. Um yeah, Ari Aster. Uh I'm like I've mentioned many times I'm I'm a huge horror person. Um and this is like this year's kind of prestige horror film. Like oh, I feel like absolutely. every year kind of has one. Like the generally NA twenty four film. Like we had the witch it a couple of years. Yeah, it yeah. Follows was A twenty four too. Yeah, it follows. And this year's was Hereditary. I don't even care if it's expected of it. Like it's it's so fucking good. It is so um, fucking good. And it 
didn't I before I went into it uh, before I watched it like I had a feeling uh, that something was going to happen I had an expectation for it to veer in a certain direction um, and then about a half an hour into the movie I'm not going to spoil it because it's like one of my favorite moments in, yes. in film this year uh, it takes a turn that completely like ruined any of my uh, ideas of where it was going Absolutely. and uh it's rare that I have like a jaw drop moment in film, like, but this, this moment uh, occurred in the film and then my jaw dropped and I looked over at Michelle and her jaw was like mouth is open and there was like <laughs> audible like gas in the crowd. And I was like fucking sold on the movie like yeah, from, from sure. then on. And, um, I think I executes. stood up. I think I literally stood up um, and I just, an obnoxious guy like, Oh, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Sick guy. Get out of here. <laughs> it's hard to talk about without getting into spoilers. Some, some of the later things that, that occur, but it does, um, it handles, um, some horror tropes in ways that felt refreshing to me. Yeah. Um, it, does some things that speak like directly like that I'm like way into like I love like ritual I love like these supernatural elements I think that films that tend to to um gravitate to those things also have a certain style and and conform to tropes in a way that this movie just had no interest in it was just like we're gonna do our own thing um and Tony Collette in this film also like can right. we talk about her? Yes, we can uh, talk about her. How she got robbed of like any? I mean, it's horror Twitter is like on fire about how the Oscars are are like it's bullshit and and yeah, how absolutely. how genre films oftentimes get just completely yeah like everyone says oh like what's the difference between a horror and a thriller? Oh, a thriller is just a good horror film, or or people say like. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, or it's the <laughs> it's the critical acclaimed version of horror, and I think that there's horror's in kind of a renaissance now, where people are starting to take it more seriously as a genre. I think it should be taken more seriously as a genre. Absolutely, I think it's a genre that's most willing to engage with subtext and yep. uh, the current like climate. I think it captures the climate in a way that just in a, in a subtler way than other films. I mean, obviously we have like a lot of highly political films this year. Yeah. Um, I but that. I think horror can be just as contemporary, just as political, um, just have just as much social commentary, but it tends to be a little under the surface. So it gets mm-hmm. dismissed by a lot of people. Um, and yeah, hereditary, I don't even know what to say about it. That hasn't already been said, but it, it's just a great film. Yeah, nothing was uh, recycled either. Like it, it was, like you said, it just felt fresh. Like the everything about it, I know. I felt uh, very modern. It, it really did. Um, uh, it's like you, you. The, it's another one of those movies that it could have gone wrong in a lot of ways, and it never did. Yeah, Ari, Ari especially. It also felt for uh, his first film, Ari Aster's first feature of blank film. <laughs> um, He's so composed, like everything is, um, he felt like he knew exactly what he wanted out of it. Um, and it felt like it was respectful to like the horror genre. You can tell he knew what he was, not that he needed to be respectful through the genre or anything like that, but like you, you can tell that he's like, he knew 
the genre, yeah. but he wasn't just paying homage to it. Like for sure. Um, almost like Mandy felt like, you know, a, an homage and like a good way to a lot of like, you know, crazy uh, yeah. exploitation films and stuff like this just felt like, like entirely modern yeah. horror film to me. Sure. Um, great. Movie. So yeah, uh, that was my number one. Nice. No. We're going to rediscuss my number one, too. Okay, uh, let's do uh, it. First Reformed. That's my number one, Michelle. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I, I'm i a sucker for a lot of things. And one of them, of course, is when things align with, with my views of the world. And, and this one, uh, talking about such, you know, in this current time, we have people who just disregard facts. And uh, so I'm talking so much about climate change and and then reconciling religion with the fact that we're destroying the world was was kind of I, I felt very it felt very timely. Uh, so so I was already sold at the beginning, like when, when they started talking about it. But then the way that Schrader, you know, he gets so he gave us a limited aspect ratio, and, and more I thought about it after we were discussed that. I think it's like, man, well that does a good job because it makes like I just feel like everything's intentional. So it's like, okay, why would you do a smaller aspect ratio? All right, uh, we, he wants everything to feel small because there's this bigger problem. All right, so smaller aspect ratio, the characters that look smaller. We're not given so much like we're we're left wanting to know a lot more about a lot of things in the movie, but. At the same time, he's also saying we're not going to be around to know a lot of things for a very long time. So you don't get to be around to learn these things. You know, I, I just felt it was him pointing like a finger at us in a lot of ways, saying you don't get what you want because we're all not getting what we want. And it's uh, I, I felt great about it. I, I, I mean, not great that, <laughs> but I felt uh, I, I just felt very strongly about this movie. I from the moment I saw it midway through, I almost like pull out my phone to text, but I thought better of it. Uh, but I almost was like, I need to text Dobby and tell him this is my favorite movie this year. <laughs> like, there's no way it'll be ruined. And then the ending, I think, completely personified. Like I said, it, it was that complete metaphor of the world's ending, so that just movie ends because we're not going to get to choose when it ends. And uh, I, I think it was perfect. I think, uh, yeah, I think it was the most perfect movie made this year. Wow, that's that's a big yeah. <laughs> big claim in yeah. a year of, of a good movie. Yeah, well, movies made this year. I mean, it's, it's still it's not Birdman to me, but you know. Oh my god! Because <laughs> <laughs> oh. nothing is. Um, but uh, no, it, it was just great, and uh, watching Ethan Hawke be just act, you know. So, he's just so good. Yeah, he and was getting, amazing. And, you know, we talked about Tony Collette last time. Well, Ethan effing Hawk, man. Like, effing, sorry, Ethan fucking Hawk. Wow. <laughs> I'll grow up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, talking about, uh, you know, being snubbed. I mean, uh, holy shit. Uh, he was so good. Just so good. So uh, just raw and amazing in this movie. And then we just overlook him. And then Amanda Seyfried gets overlooked for supporting roles. And uh, everyone in this movie. And a movie that takes Cedric the Entertainer and makes him into a serious actor is any movie in my book that I want to watch. Like, that is that is killer. Uh, so good. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so that's our that's our top ten list of the year. Yeah. Um, that's fun. Yeah, hopefully uh, anyone's listening to this got a little something out of it. Uh, this is our first time trying anything like this. Yeah. So Next year um, we'll bring headphones and... Yeah, apologies to, for the audio quality. <laughs> We're just in my kitchen and huddling around one microphone, plugged to a laptop. But uh, yeah. yeah, I enjoyed nice. doing this. Absolutely, man. Awesome. Right. We go hop on the plane now. Yeah, until next year, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right.